This is Shannon in Durham, Chip in Durham, and Erica in Edmonton. And this is the Audio Guide to Babylon 5, Episode 63, And the Rock Cried Out, No Hiding Place. No Hiding Place. Welcome, one and all. Welcome back to our regular listeners. Welcome to anyone who happens to have just stumbled across us, um, because there was this like long outlandish title in um, <laughs> in this um, in towards the end of series three of Babylon Five. Was this a descriptive enough title this time around? After <laughs> after so many either misleading or wrong plot point or. You know, Stephen was sort of pleased when I told him the title before we watched it, because it wasn't generic. That is the thing that is not in any way. uh, But it is also still not remotely spoilery. It still doesn't really tell you anything about what's going to happen in the episode. But it's nice because once you've seen the episode, that title will forever be married to the experiences you have watching a certain scene in this in this story. So what you're saying is Indeed. regarding this title, there's no spoiler space around here. <laughs> I wish I had thought of that. <laughs> oh, but yeah, we have uh, uh, Z minus, apparently. Apparently we're getting close to something because... Or, or Z minus, as Stephen yes. said it afterwards. I was True. like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but we, we, we suddenly have a countdown, and we're, we're not quite sure to what, but we can speculate on that at some point, uh, pre or post uh, jump gate, as we wish. <laughs> in the meantime, shall we jump in? Let's do it. Let's do it. Oh, oh. God, I can't wait for this! Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> anyway... So, if for whatever reason this was your first episode of Babylon 5, what you need to know. The Narn and Centauri have been running a hot and cold war for over a century. The Centauri have a very upper hand at the moment after bombing the Narn homeworld almost into smithereens. The space station Babylon 5, originally run by Earth's government, joined several Earth colonies in declaring independence after an increasingly totalitarian government began bombing Mars. Since then, news from home has been hard to come by. In this episode, Captain Sheridan is driving himself relentlessly to try and figure out the attack patterns of the shadows. Brother Theo has brought in several fellow spiritual leaders who have been able to smuggle in accurate news and information to the B-5 command staff. One, Reverend Dexter, talks with Sheridan and convinces him to use the support he has in Delenn. When they decipher a probable attack plan of the Shadows, Delenn reveals that the powerful White Star ship is now part of a fleet, which is ready to take the fight to the Shadows. In meanwhile... Things are coming to a head in Centauri politics, with Londo and his rival Rifa plotting to convince a powerful minister to voice his support for one side or the other. Londo uses Veer to lure Jakar back to the Narn homeworld, but Rifa abducts Veer and uses a telepath to learn of the plot. Rifa jumps to take over Londo's plan, but discovers that he's been tricked. Londo made a bargain with Jakar to release 2,000 Narn prisoners if Jakar would arrange to have Riva killed so Londo could then discredit him. As the title of the episode implies, Riva finds no hiding place and Londo succeeds in his plan. And that is, and the rock cried out, no hiding place. Man, this podcast is going to be longer just because we have to say the title several times. <laughs> oh, so any general thoughts as we get started? You know, I have to say, just speaking of the title, that was the only thing that I really remembered about this episode. Going, oh, really? I was, just the title? I was, look, I was looking forward to it, that scene. Like, you know, I, I knew it was coming. And I, I, I sort of remembered a little bit about the machinations leading up to that, mm-hmm. uh, that that but I didn't remember well enough. So a lot, you know, some of the twists, the, the whole thing with Veer was that was unexpected. So I mm-hmm. got to experience it as if anew once again. And I had completely forgotten about sort of the rest of it, uh, right. you know, the Sheridan Delenn stuff. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Erica, I love you to bits. Every once in a while, I feel like you're Dory from Edmonton. 
<laughs> but you know what? It, life is so much more fun that way when it comes to media because I get to rewatch things and enjoy it again. <laughs> I believe it. Um, one of the things I loved that I had forgotten about this particular episode, um, I know we don't always like the voiceover thing starting up uh, in, a, in an opening, but this time it really worked for me because I think JMS was t- taking a great deal of care to touch on a bunch of different things, knowing that there's a wrap up or, or a pivot coming at the end of the season of some sort. So he's like, okay, remember the telepaths? Okay, remember Franklin? You know, and over here is Sheridan. So he's kind of like lining everything up um, to remind viewers who might have forgotten some of these threads that may not be featured in this episode, but apparently are going to be very important soon. Yeah. I got a little impatient with not just the voiceover, but the exposition in the episode. It felt very, um, very on the nose, almost as you know, Bob. And then I reminded myself that this aired in 1996. This was weekly television. Mm -hmm. And especially back in those, those days... You always had to assume that this was somebody's first episode. And there's Mm -hmm. so much in this episode that really only has resonance if you understand these characters and their relationships. And if you're hoping that your audience, you're not going to ask your audience to just have mainlined three years worth of Babylon 5, you're going to set it up for them. Yeah. And I didn't I didn't actually notice any super blatant as you know bobs. Like the the way that all the exposition was worked in and I'm not going to say there wasn't a lot of it because you know there was but correct it was necessary but it wasn't characters telling other characters who already knew right. um, too many of the things. And that is the thing that gets my gets my back up. Uh, as for the voiceover itself, I I kind of like the continuity that most of the I don't know if I can't remember exactly how many voiceovers we've had now, but certainly this one and the last one have both been Ivanova. And I kind and of like the Ivanova continuity. Does the credits. Yes, that, exactly. That's, what, that's why it struck me this time. Yeah. Yep. And so to me, that sort of gives this, this season, at least, a little bit of continuity that, you know, maybe Ivanova hasn't been on screen quite as much because we've got some other plots that are that are going on. But she is still sort of not exactly a POV character, but kind of, you know, we're we're getting the the info dump at the beginning from her perspective. She's sort of the Greek chorus in a little bit of a way. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, and I, I like the fact that um, also, at least for me, it worked to have her touch on all of these other threads that have been going on and then segue from her voiceover into uh, introducing one of our plots. I don't know if there's like A, B and C plot going on this time around or um, <laughs> if they kind of mesh together as they usually do. But we have the Interfaith Space Patrol. <laughs> as, I, as Chip helped me come up with that name, I figured they needed a name. They felt like a team of, they felt like a team of minor superheroes in a way, I or like sneakers it. or something, you know, to mm-hmm. go around and gather all this information. And apparently, at least to Babylon Five, and maybe to the different colonies, uh, trying to get word from what's going back on Earth. And I, I can't deci- I still can't decide whether I love or am irritated by the running battle between Theo and Will Dexter. I mean, on the one hand, both actors sold it Mm -hmm. and sold it well. On the other hand, there were scenes when I wasn't sure that it was needed. Yeah. Um, These characters are a little tropey. A little? I I think so. I think so. Uh, Just a little? Yeah. Okay. Oh, oh, that was sarcasm. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not aware of sarcasm when it's employed at me um, uh, sometimes. Um, no. Yeah, yeah. Um, the black Baptist preacher, the uh, cassock wearing um, uh, friar, you know, they are drawn broadly, shall we say? Is that a, is that a fair is that a fair statement? I, well, I think Theo wasn't so broad a character before when he's when he's been around. He's been a much more interesting, genuine character when we've seen him previously. And just, you know, but put him next to somebody that, you know, apparently the two of them have engaged in this running, running verbal battle for decades. And, you know, the, the Reverend obviously enjoys it. I just can't figure out if Brother Theo's enjoys it or not. 
<laughs> I, I think he does in his way. And I, I do agree that they are a little bit broad, but I think that they are not unrealistic. I mean, there are, I think there are people in the world like both of those characters and both mm-hmm. of those guys. And the, I like the point about putting them next to each other and having them sort of act differently because that is a thing that I see happen in real life. When you get people who don't interact all the time. I'm thinking now about my husband and uh, our, our friend Josh, who also is a Doctor Who podcaster. When they get together at Doctor Who conventions, they both suddenly turn into cartoon character versions of themselves, <laughs> shouting Doctor Who lines across the lobby of the LAX Marriott. So... Uh, I think that it actually does make sense to me for this character of Brother Theo, who who seemed a little bit more nuanced in certain ways when he was acting against the station personnel, and that was it. And then he gets together with this guy who's clearly, you know, an old buddy sort of a thing, and they just sort of go back and forth and, and snipe at each other in what I took to be a pretty friendly way. It, uh, it worked for me. I liked it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like uh, the character of Will Dexter, mm-hmm. especially when he's away from Brother Theo. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. The preaching scenes, uh, they're they're very apt. They're very appropriate for an African-American preacher who is in the civil rights movement, which is very much what uh, is being alluded to here with the interfaith space patrol. Um, <laughs> so, but the scene in Sheridan's office Leaving right. aside for the moment that uh, security must have all collectively decided <laughs> that it was coffee break time, um, it yeah. is it is completely unbelievable that he would just randomly wander into Sheridan's office. Well, the lights weren't on. I thought I'd just look around. Put that aside. That is a good tête-à-tête between um, him mm-hmm. and Sheridan. Um, I, I just want to say, I don't think you need to put that aside, because I think based on where that tete-a-tete goes, he had a purpose and was hoping to find him there. Oh, true enough. True enough. Mm-hmm. True mm-hmm. enough. Um, just, uh, I'm just shocked that he actually made it into the office. I uh, know. What's security <laughs> like on Battlefront 5? Does everybody just trust the uh, the minister? Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, strong strong character, strong performance. Strong performances from just about all of our uh, guest stars, I would say. I didn't yeah. feel like there was a really bad one in the mix. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, as a matter of fact, I actually cheered uh, when the rabbi appeared because he played a fairly major role in the movie version of Stargate, of which I am a huge fan. Sorry, Jason Snell. Uh, <laughs> so so every time I see him pop up in something, I get really, really excited. And then I just want to go watch Stargate. And he was really Real good in a, in a comparatively small role. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It's so hard to get good actors to just be natural. And and mm-hmm. even, the, even um, the actor playing Will Dexter is natural in his way yeah no, yep the actor's that, name is mel winkler and yeah i thought he did a a fantastic job with that character both as you said when he's you know on stage as you know whether it's as the preacher or as the foil to brother theo's quips um and again as being a minister rather than rather than a preacher and go talking with sheridan one-on-one mm-hmm yeah. Um, you know, the Interfaith Space Patrol is uh, Babylon 5, when they make the pluralism of Earth religions point, they tend to be unsubtle about it. But I thought that this wasn't quite as good as way back in Parliament of Dreams when we had a reason for the, the sort of parade of representatives uh, going on there. Um, I like this better. You do? (laughs) I do, because I didn't feel like there was a a great reason for all of that parade back in in Parliament of Dreams to be on the station at one time, whereas here, there is actually a reason. They got together and decided this is an important thing that we have to do. It's a mission from God, and and they all, that is what they are there for. They are backing each other up. And, and, and working and they, geographically as well. They made the point mm-hmm. that, you know, that they were working out of like the different areas where their faith is concentra- concentrated. Hmm. Yep. So I, what I'm saying is that I am down with IPP. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, th- I think it's a ISP. So um, it's you're, so oh, you're shoot. not. not it's not the same wrong. rhythm. Uh, that was a great. That was a great gag. Uh, you, <laughs> you, you brought the rap <laughs> reference, and I'm in favor of that. Um, if you'd gone with ISP, mm-hmm. then it could have been internet service provider, and that was. No. Well, we don't want an ISP to go down, so no. that would be bad. That's true. No, we've got <laughs> we've got all this podcast left to do. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so with. Um, Thanks to the Interfaith Space Patrol, uh, they catch up on what's going on back on Earth, which is a good thing because we haven't heard a whole lot about Earth for several episodes now. Um, things have been just like, you know, the, the barest hints here and there of how independence has, is affecting the station and daily life with um, having to beef up security with the NAR and having to arrange uh, patrols outside. Uh, the mail's still getting through, although with difficulty. But now we finally get some hard information from from these gentlemen that, you know, not only is there a resistance back at home, it's actually doing some good. Mm-hmm. So I liked I liked that it that they brought that back in as well um, here as the season starts to close out. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Only two more episodes in this season. I know. (laughs) Yep. And of course, um, thanks to uh, Reverend Dexter, Sheridan and Delenn come to more of a working relationship beyond her dragging him out of the war council when she sees like, damn it, he needs sleep. And yeah, so, I'd say it's working. Yeah. yeah, but less less of the the nagging wife impression and more of the partnership, which I really appreciate. Okay, okay. Let's let's just let's just jump in here. Uh, yes, the the ship is sailing now. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh well, yeah. It it's, is it's, full it's a, steam ahead. It's a it's a it's a clinch. It is a it is a clinch. It is a passionate kiss while Minbari pilots and crew sit along a little uncomfortably just off screen <laughs> and we have a fleet of white star vessels floating in the background um yeah that's just a little romantic i was i like i said i had forgotten a lot of the things that happened in this episode and i had both hands in the air you know just I was pu- punching the air with both fists and was very very excited and steven looked pretty excited about the fleet of white stars he was just like what <laughs> so it was it was a really a really nice reveal on both fronts and just just a fun moment something for the whole family yeah exactly <laughs> yes yeah um the the relationship stuff uh one, I have a vivid memory of this episode. This was this aired uh, for the first time not long after uh, Shannon and I had gotten married, and a running argument that we had leading up to the wedding date was uh, that I was concerned that Shannon wasn't taking her studies seriously enough. She wasn't doing her stuff. That she was spending so much time with me. And uh, enjoyed watching me do uh, martial arts instead of doing the martial arts or something, stuff like that. And I was constantly like, you know, why don't you take care of some more of your own stuff? And then we're watching this very episode together. (laughs) And just right at the end of that scene, when uh, Dexter says about when, when I'm helping you, I'm not just cleaning my room. I am helping you. And she just sort of looks at me and goes, see? (laughs) <laughs> not the first time i've lost an argument uh, thanks to babylon 5 <laughs> that was that was a super super great moment too just like i mean that uh the analogy about uh you know his wife when i sweep my floor all i'm doing is sweeping my floor that mm-hmm. yeah that really i didn't have the personal connection to it that you guys did but it still sort of hit me in the heart like that is a, yeah. a meaningful statement it is it is um and it's it's honest and it's human. Um, yeah, unfortunately, it was preceded by basically the the reverend saying that yeah. Uh, yeah, women were created to help men. Great. Yeah, there is a, there is a certain amount of uh, conservative theology that sort of slips in there that I'm not sure that would have been in there if the episode had been written in 2016. Oh, I think it still would have been because I don't see that as uh, as conservative theology uh, being sort of espoused by the show. I see that as JMS putting those words into the the mouth of a religious character to perhaps in some way, I don't want to say discredit that character, but to just sort of showcase that uh, that religion and religious figures are not always uh, 100% um, 
hmm. clean and and sparkling in their beliefs. Interesting, because I was thinking more along the lines of, you know, thank you for putting it that way, because he said, you know, you know, somebody people need people to talk to is, you know, more of what I took from it than, you know, here's the woman for, you know, to to prop up the man. But that was me. Well, he basically said that, though, (laughs) you know, that Eve was created to help Adam out. That was I mean, there wasn't it wasn't subtle. It wasn't subtle at all. Even actually, Stephen, as we were watching it, he just turns to me and he says, yep, didn't you know women were created to help support men? That's pretty great, don't you think? And I was like, shut up and watch the show. <laughs> That's only because the Bible thinks that Adam was first. <laughs> anyway, um, but yeah, uh, the helping Sheridan to see, I think, you know, bringing in an outsider at this point to help him organize his thoughts was a smart move because Sheridan can be the type. He's such a strategist. It it is so easy for him to overthink things, uh, to worry about things uh, in a way that makes them into bigger problems than they are. I can definitely see him being at a stage where he's, you know, especially Delenn has like, you know, just gone through the ceremony. She's now Ranger One. He sees this as she's got her a much bigger weight on her shoulders and he should not add to it. And then in comes the outsider to say, well, no, you're not adding to each other's problems if you share with each other, if you just share. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're taking things on for the other person. So I really, I really appreciated the structure of that. Nod. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I also, I I was crazy giggling over some of the banter between Sheridan and Delenn. We've got banter between the religious figures Mm -hmm. and we've got more banter as Delenn delivers a dictionary lesson, which always just makes my language teacher heart go pitter-pat because, you know, (laughs) yes, you know, you have to write a dictionary well if you expect it to be of any use. And she's just, it's its so flirty. It is oh, so yeah. flirty. I See, I didn't i didn't read it as nagging wife at all. I just I got it as the, you know, this is the early stages of a blossoming mm-hmm. relationship. And everything they say to each other is just, just cute as can be. And her face, even, mm-hmm. especially maybe even when she recognizes that he has not been listening to her. She's never mind. And there's, there's this warmth and mm-hmm. joy, just pure joy on her face. And it melted, melted my heart. Yeah. Yeah. Although notice that that sort of warmth does slip a little bit when um, Sheridan says, it's what I would do when he's <gasps> yeah. Uh, yeah. When, when he's uh, yeah. taking on the when he's a- adopting sort of the mindset of the shadows and trying to understand what they're about to do. And he says glibly, you know, we, if we're going to beat them, we have to think like them. And uh, nope, 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 nope. Uh, cutesy <laughs> falls away for Delenn right there. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, definitely, absolutely. Although I think I think that's interesting because when it comes right down to it, he's a soldier in his position as the leader of not just Babylon Five but this army of light. He's right. He does need to be able to think that way. And mm-hmm. I mean, if he came up with an idea where they could lure a whole bunch of the shadows into one place and kill all of the shadows, then I think that they would do that. So Yeah, that that's her I think that's Delenn's reflexive religious cast coming out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I have more to say about this, but Go it's going it. to have to wait. Oh. Ooh, hashtag teaser. <laughs> hashtag spoiler. Uh, okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Uh is there anything else we can think of? With Sheridan and Delenn? Uh, I mean, I could spend a lot of time thinking yeah. Yeah, about Sheridan true. and Delenn, but we should probably move on oh, and talk oh, about the... Uh, I, I will just mention the one cute little bit uh, during the during the service when they're singing No Hiding Place. And when Sheridan seems like he's finally got into it enough that at one point he, he leans over and, and emphasizes his line, no hiding place, while mm-hmm. uh, like looking over at Delenn's bulletin. Was like, That's just that. That was just <laughs> cute. That was yep. yeah. I, I, that so was, was Lanier. There, they have that little flash of Lanier finally mm-hmm. just starting to to join in. That, right, there, there was right. there, there were several cute little moments like that. Yes, but specific to Sheridan yes. and Lanier. That was that yes. Sheridan and Delenn. That was that was that was a moment of intimacy. Mm-hmm. That was a yep. moment of fun and intimacy between the two, and I and that I loved it. Agreed. Yep. 
Okay, then we've got yet another odd couple, and we've got Londo and Rifa finally coming to a head. So we've had. And I their... was just thinking that eventually they were just going to kiss. Am I right? <laughs> um, well, too late for that now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. They think that train went off the tracks a while ago. Yeah, yeah. But we have um, again, you know, Rifa, this recurring character that we've loved to hate for quite a while now, as he has steadily gotten deeper and deeper into. Uh, his vision of what Centauri Prime should be, and that includes, you know what, we're just going to take these uh, these weapons that have been, you know, banned by all of these nations, and we're just going to use them and, you know, take the Narn homeworld and pummel it for a while. Uh, and, you know, now that these two visions, again, are clashing, and Londo and Reefa are bringing all their resources to bear to convince this, this smarmy minister um, who he should speak for. And mm-hmm. I just... What I had forgotten about this episode and not watching this episode for a while, I'd forgotten just how careful JMS was in setting this thing up to turn out to be Londo and Jakar working together the whole time. That That's some murder she wrote experience coming out right there. <laughs> the, 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 yeah. the, 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 the way they chose dialogue, the way they cut from scene to scene mm-hmm. was j- as good as any murder mystery. And that is the part that I had forgotten. So midway through the episode, Stephen was saying something about, I can't believe Jakar is just so like, you know, thick to, to fall for this. And I was defending Jakar's like <laughs> belief of Veer, completely forgetting that that wasn't even the way that the whole thing went. So so at the end, Stephen and I were talking about it and Stephen was like, OK, so what really happened in you know, I reasoned out that Londo either he probably didn't go to see Jakar because that would just be a difficult thing to manage on Babylon mm-hmm. Five. Um, but sent him the information and, and worked it out with him probably before Veer ever ever yeah. got there. So, so Stephen was a little bit confused by that, but there really wasn't any other way to do that without giving the game away. Exactly, exactly. Yep. Uh, JMS teased well before this episode aired that he was killing off a character that uh the actor in question had said uh what don't didn't i do a good job I, and and james is like no the point is you did a great job and that's why we have to kill you um, <laughs> because it means something and yeah poor william forward yeah will not be appearing again in a centauri wig because uh, there's nothing left of him did you see how <laughs> bloody the data crystal was after yes. londo handed Ooh, it over to verini yeah. nice touch mm-hmm. although nice it did touch. look like it was just coated in nail polish but shh, shh, shh. well okay sorry budget budget <laughs> But yeah, and and Forward does such a good job again in this episode of being. I, I loved I I loved how smarmily sure he was of himself as you know he and the minister are you know belittling the quarters that could be found for them on Babylon Five and yeah they wanted us to to, to support their independence bid but nah, um, and then for the minister to turn around and essentially say, dude, I haven't decided yet. And, you know, the expression on the actor's face is Rifa's just like, what was was excellent. Yeah. Um, and then and then he, he backs out and the doors opens and there's Alondo and neither one of them is happy to see each other. And 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 then we just and then we just go from there. Um, yeah, he he is fantastic. Um, top to bottom in this episode. Uh, I love his overcranked camera uh running away from the narns um this is it 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 he looks scared he looks like he's got nowhere to go but he's just going to try and you know it's 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 not going to go well yeah well just i i have to wonder what sparked that storyline for jms if it was like you know hearing the hymn and suddenly getting this idea uh-huh. of somebody in trouble and running and not finding a hiding place. And it just sprang from there. It just that, that last scene alternating between the hymn and the Narn passages underground just feels like inspiration. It is. And the thing that really, really does it for me when Londo begins to explain that Rifa is about to die. And then we cut to the service 
just long enough for uh, Reverend Dexter to say, all please rise. <laughs> and then we're back to Narn, and you know what's coming. You know that stuff is going down. All please rise. That is so... that, that uh, I was like, the first time I saw this, I remember hearing that and going, stuff's going down. <laughs> now you mentioned the hymn is that actually a, a a hymn or a spiritual or is that another thing that was written specifically for babylon 5 Th- so- this was an actual old time spiritual that jms okay. discovered somewhere yeah. gotcha yeah yeah there's just so many brilliant touches in in that scene from Rifa coming up and proudly you know declaring that jakar you are my prisoner and it's like and jakar's like well actually <laughs> you're mine and yeah. then the do do what you will with the other nars and the guys just sit there yeah um but yeah even just all sorts of little flourishes such as you know londo's hologram starts pacing and then you know he turns and points and Rifa actually ducks it's like dude he's not there <laughs> just that made me cackle yeah, like like I said, that was the one thing that I clearly remembered from this mm-hmm. episode because it was just such an effective scene. And I mean, I think at this point in television history, I've seen a lot more versions of the same sort of thing. And mm-hmm. it, it maybe doesn't look quite as smooth going back and watching. Uh, as Stephen sort of said of, of David J. Eagle, he said that, he, well, he said he liked the episode, but he said, I, I enjoyed David J. Eagle's intentions, was the way he put it. He says, I feel like Vehar, Mike Vehar would have lifted that sequence even more with the uh, with the slow-mo. It did, it did feel a little bit inelegant at times with the uh, the particulars of the cross-cutting and the choices of the, the the sequences but you know as you said earlier tip budget so you know you only have so much time to put this stuff together yeah i think eagle gets a lot out of his actors in this episode yes. an mm-hmm. awful lot and uh staging is good uh the dark room for uh where veer is interrogated that's good and creepy the uh, Centauri guard stepping in in shadow, you can barely see him. You know, that... I didn't recall the other episodes that Eagle directed, but Eagle directed Severed Dreams, which was also a big, significant episode in the plotting and scripting and was competently directed. Mm-hmm. And I think that we, I think that we get the same thing here, but I do think that he gets a lot out of the actors this time around. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, great great performances, top to bottom, I agree. Yeah, I'm going to give a quick shout out to Stephen first um, and the things he does with Veer from just, you know, first he's, you know, taking care of Londo and he's like swapping the food. You know, that was great, you know, that they had the props <laughs> yes. there too to, to play off of. But, you know, going from I'm not going to do it, Londo, you know, you're going to have to find somebody else to, you know, Londo bludgeons him into it pretty much. And then, you know, when Veer goes to actually meet Jakar and tell him he, he knows something about Natoth. And then he finds out after after being abducted and having, you know, a telepath rummage around in his head for a little bit. And then, you know, he goes and gives Londo that look because, yet again, Londo has pretty much shamelessly used Veer for his own intentions. Yeah. My only issue with this aspect of the story is that... I would like to think that even as Veer was worried about what Londo had threatened to do to Veer's family, and those were some pretty awful threats, I I felt like standards and practices must have gotten involved at some point when the line was, I will destroy them um, instead of kill them. Uh, But uh, I would like to have thought that Veer would have at least tried to figure out a way to warn Jakar to keep him from... You know what? Maybe he did. We didn't actually see the sequence where he's talking to Jakar, and we know that Jakar was going for his own reasons, and it really didn't have anything to do with what Veer told him. So it -hmm. is possible, you know, you can certainly headcanon it to say that, yes, Veer actually told Jakar something that was, you know, maybe he told him the the real truth or a half-truth or tried to get him to not go. Um, Well, I mean, he couldn't have told him the real truth because he felt really bad about it. Yeah, yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, um, I, I, my head canon would be because I like Veer, and I think that Veer is, you know, he's not the bravest character, but he is frequently brave, and he is typically moral. My head canon would be that Veer was hoping to figure out a way later to salvage mm-hmm. the situation. But gotcha. then he got abducted, so. <laughs> yeah. I hope. I can see that. Mm-hmm. Well, while we're talking about performances, um, that, shout out to Peter Jurisic for his mm-hmm. performance, which I assume had to have been pretty much a performance against nothing, uh, because you know the hologram is yeah. clearly not in the same same sh- sequence, same shot as all of the people that are around it. So he probably just shot that against a green screen or just a black background or something like that. And I thought that was that was perfect, Londo, just a hundred percent. Agreed. All right, and then we have, yeah, Londo has gotten rid of Rifa and has uh, framed him perfectly for uh, causing all of these problems with Nar- with uh, Centauri Homeworld, and who knows what's going to happen next. Oh, oh, oh. Yes? You know who we haven't talked about? Who? Jakar. True. Mm-hmm. Oh, Jakar, That's who true. has one of the best lines in this. You know, if, if the symmetry were any more perfect, I should think one of us would break into tears. Stephen laughed out loud. Yes, that's a great line. And then he, of course, you know, goes to Garibaldi. It's like, can you smuggle something, oh, this tall, this wide? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, and the gravity that uh, Andreas Katsoulos brings to Jakar's performance on Narn in that mm-hmm. moment when, they're conf- when they confront Rifa. Mm-hmm. And he is so, he is so grim. He is mm-hmm. so matter-of-fact. Uh, and then just turns and walks away once they really yes. start going. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love that he's he's not taking any kind of vindictive glee in what is happening. He's mm-hmm. just been... This is justice. This is he's, And justice. he's been so beaten down by all of this that it's just sad. It's, you know, he has gotten here to Narn for the first time since the mass driver attack. And he has seen what has become of his beloved planet. And... That takes the, you know, what little wind was left in his sails that that takes it right out of there. And Mm -hmm. he is just sort of deflated. And, yep, he's there to see justice served and he's doing his part. But he can't he can't even bring himself to to feel that that fire at this point. Exactly. Okay. anything else that we can think of? Um, another directorial thing involved yes. in this particular plotline, and that is um, David J. Eagle really has some, there are some flourishes in here, and they, they, they're they not maybe quite as smooth as in a Mike Vehar episode, but, you know, they stand out a little bit more. Uh, the zooms was one thing. One thing. Steven is a sucker for a good zoom, so he... <laughs> He just kept saying David Eagle, David J. Eagle zooms. Uh, <laughs> but the one that I liked quite a bit was the sequence where Londo and Veer are in Londo's quarters talking and Londo is looking in the mirror and you see Veer in the mirror behind him uh, without seeing the camera, uh, which I just I thought that was very, very well done. That was a nicely sh- framed and shot sequence and mm-hmm. you get uh, another actually this wasn't in the same plot line but there's an over-the-shoulder shot from behind Sheridan in his darkened office where there's a, a table lamp in the foreground which I just thought was was really really nice uh, but then jumping back to the Centauri plot you get Lord Rifa and uh, Drigo whose faces are perfectly framed in that sort of right. ornate gold working when they're talking to each other so it was it, it was fun to watch those things even though they did feel like they were a little bit sledgehammery with look at how pretty the direction is that brings us to our breaking point uh, we have homework next time well, shadow I, go ahead well, I was just going to say Stephen check in. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I, you, you'd mentioned yeah. several things, so yeah. Yep. All right. He so. uh, he. Once once it was finished, I turned and you know said, actually no. I once again I didn't even get a chance to ask him what he thought. He just said, I like that one immediately, immediately mm-hmm. upon it ending. So he he really enjoyed it. Uh, when the sequence um 
when he was recognizing what was happening to Lord Rifa, he quite enjoyed that. So afterwards, he was just like, ha, he said, take that, Lord Rifa. But that surprised me. I was surprised. I didn't think Londo had it in him. Uh, of course, ha. he only he only did it for personal power. But I like that he was sort of helping Jakar out in a way. And, and right. even in the middle of the episode, he couldn't keep quiet. And he was just like, "Ooh, Londo's a scheming this time around, I tell you what. <laughs> so I mean, he was he was very invested in that plot. And he really enjoyed it. And overall, he thought that, uh, especially the sequence, um, the slow-mo sequence during the rock ride out in a hiding place, he thought it was a little bit sort of Tarantino-esque because he, huh. he, finds it, he finds it rare that Babylon 5 lets things just play out without words. It doesn't happen very often. Right. And, and he liked it. Um, and I like that, too. I feel like that's sort of a nice, it gives it more of a kick or more of a punch when it does happen, pun intended. Um, yeah. <laughs> Be, because it doesn't happen terribly often, so so yeah, this mm-hmm. was this was definitely another thumbs up from the uh, <clears throat> from the newbie camp. Okay. This is one of my favorites. It's 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 hands down one of my favorite episodes of Babylon Five, and it does so without being a plot hammer the way that uh, the Holy Trilogy is. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just so effective. The juxtaposition of the spiritual and the beatdown. Um and the fact that that's not just that's not just a 5 minute sequence here uh but everything in this episode that leads up to that moment is pitched perfectly. Agreed. Totally. Well, then we are about to head for a jump gate. Um, for people who are watching for the first time around, this is where we recommend that you get off and go do your homework, and we will come back and talk about that next time. Our next episode will cover shadow dancing. And as always, uh, if you would like to chat about these episodes, talk about them amongst yourselves with us, we are at b5audioguide.com where our chat threads can be found. And we are also on Twitter and Tumblr at B5 Audio Guide. Shadow dancing. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting a disco vibe all of a sudden. <laughs> I'm trying to ignore it. And we're back. And now we are looking forward as well as backward to what, what this sets up for later on. Or things that uh, themes that run through. One thing that struck me right away this time that I don't think uh, hit me before, uh, when Rifa starts telling the minister how you know Londo's he's been around aliens too long. He's lost <laughs> touch, and I immediately thought back to Delenn dealing with that same accusation in seasons one and two, and forward to parts of season four where that's basically what the earth government tries to say about sheridan and the command staff of babylon five that seems to be a a common accusation to throw at the opposition no shortage of tribalism in the 23rd century no although you do have the the other side of that because you get uh you get the reverend from the pulpit saying the enemy is the one who tells you you must hate that which is different so i appreciated a the balance and then b i was thinking oh i wish i could just plaster that all over the walls of every building in the united states right now that would be nice (laughs) um so we have that sort of thread running through from beginning to middle to end these this is also um there's a few firsts and lasts in in this episode this is i believe the last time we see brother theo and his monks so um yeah that's a bummer yeah, it really is, and f- and for Louis Turin to g- to go out as Brother Theo on such a meh note, you know, it's a go- a little bit goofy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On the other time, uh, on the other hand, uh, this is the first time that Londo will plot with Jakar to do something that he sees ultimately as saving his people. I mean, his ultimate aim is to get Rifa not just as revenge for Adira, but also because Rifa is espousing policies that will tie them closer to the shadows, and Londo's trying to get Centauri Prime to stop fighting, stop all of this mess. We have to save our own people and work on our own. 
Um, and this is something that Londo and Jakar will work together again to arrange uh, Cartage's murder. And then, of course, at the end, when, you know, Londo gets Jakar's help to kill himself to um, to stop the Drak from right. uh, continuing to take over his planet. Right. And I think it's really important that we have this moment after we have seen War Without End and we have seen that in the future um, they will have a very different relationship than the right. one that we have now. This first moment of cooperation, even though they still despise each other, there are still mortal enemies at this point that they can actually work together to achieve mutually agreeable ends. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's nicely timed. It, it is. And that was, you know, like I said, just before the, uh, before the jump gate, Stephen, his last comment about this was that I like that he was helping out Jakar in a way. And like inside, I was like, keep a straight face. Keep a straight face. Don't say anything. Don't move. Don't move. Because, yes, I know it's coming. And I just, I, I love when he notices things like that, things that are going to come back, things that are important for you to catch as a viewer. Because, you know, I always wonder, am I seeing this? Is it waving a great big red flag because I know what's going to happen? Or is it really seated that well? And in this case, it is really seated that well because, it, like, you know, it, it stood out to somebody who is, is new and, and invested. Agreed. Something else that leapt out at me, since the consequences are going to start in the very next episode, if I remember correctly, uh, we learned that, you know, I understand. Okay, I can see both sides. I'll put it this way. On the one hand, Delenn is working with the religious caste and the Vorlons to create this fleet of white stars, and they weren't ready yet. I get that part. Part of me thinks, though, she should have told them that I think that she should have told him that this was coming so that he could plan more effectively, knowing that there was going to be more help on the way. I I go back and forth. You know, Stephen said the same thing, and I didn't want to bring that up in pre-spoiler space right. um, <laughs> because because I wanted to be able to tie it into what is just about to come. Because yeah. what I what I said was, uh, I just said, well, you know, think about it. That's kind of Delenn's style. She didn't tell Sheridan about the shadows even in the first place until she was kind of forced into it. She she sort of just plays the cards very close to her vest or her vest-looking dresses, and uh, and doesn't doesn't share information until she absolutely has to. So I feel like I, I subtly planted that seed a little bit in Stephen's head because he said, yeah, you're right. That is kind of her style, I guess. But he still felt like like uh, that would be a kind yeah. of thing that he should probably know as the commander. Yeah, but oh my God, is it going to bite her in the butt? Oh um, yeah, totally. <sighs> we yeah. learn, I think it's the next episode or... Yeah, next next episode, uh, next episode, the shadow, the, their first big victory over the shadows and Anna walks Here comes in Anna door. Sheridan. Yes, <laughs> Yes, That's- here comes Anna Sheridan that Delenn suspected could be alive the whole time and did not tell Sheridan that. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of which, uh, Erica, what did Stephen think about Z minus? Did <laughs> he, he was, even notice? He did. His first, you know, when it first popped up, he was like, whoa, what's what's this? Z minus. He, you know, he wasn't sure. And then, you know, afterwards, it this had taken like about three days. And he was like, okay, so this whole episode took three days Three days before what, I wonder. I'm like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, going back to uh, Delenn, uh, the thing that I wanted to elaborate on uh, from before the jump gate, uh, when Delenn loses her uh, cool over Sheridan saying, we've got to think like them. It's what I would do. That, I think, is the first really big hint that we are given to as an audience that this is an ideological war. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The Mimbari and the Vorlons have been really tight all along. Uh, the Mimbari are, you know, their their whole caste structure, their whole civilization is very orderly, and the Vorlon shadow conflict is about order versus chaos. Um, right. In this, in this moment... She is briefly horrified by the notion that 
Sheridan m- might think that they need to uh, surrender to chaos in order to win this war, and she pulls him out of there immediately. It's t- yeah, mm-hmm. you you. They, they, he says you're. He says the minister says that you're tired, and I can see that, and it's time for you to go. Mm-hmm. No. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, but we but, we also just speaking of that, we also have you know the line that uh, that Sheridan says when he's trying to figure everything out. Maybe this is as much about terror as it is about territory. And then mm-hmm. when they figure out that what they think the shadows are doing is is to to be demoralizing and create even more terror, he he's just like, yeah, that's what I would do. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So I so I think that I, I think that the. This is the turning of the key uh, that uh, opens the door to people understanding that this is about the Vorlons versus the Shadows, and this is about order versus chaos and all this stuff. The horror that Delin has that the, the, the man that she loves would consider emulating the Shadows in any way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or even not emulating, but... But the fact that he could have come to the same idea or same conclusion on his own is, is you know, maybe even a little bit more scary. Yeah, because this is a, a, all about mindset, and she doesn't want to think of him as being capable of that. So next season, she will come around to that point, and she will say when he's planning, when he needs to be really seriously planning the fight against President Clark— she says, you need to be dangerous, and you can't be dangerous while I'm here, so I'm going back to Minbar, and I'm going to deal with some stuff. Mm-hmm. That's not where she is right now. Nope. Mm-hmm. No, because they're still in the first blushes of love, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> she still needs to be able to see him as that perfect, you know, white, shining knight. And and yeah, I can understand that. She'll, you know, Dylan will get there. But for right now, she's just, she's just head over bone. Wait, no, bone over heels. There we go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> that works. Yeah, yeah I'm really I, off today with my quips. I apologize. That's all right. Yeah, I just, I couldn't help um, this time around <laughs> flashing on to, yes, that's her first kiss. And that's his second because timey-wimey. <laughs> yep. That's right. Yep. Oh, what a good episode, y'all. Agreed. It really is. Just love it. Just love it. It's almost as good as Gray 17. (laughs) You know, I have to admit... It's almost as good as TKO, I'm telling you. Steven's reaction to this was not that much inflated from his reaction to Gray 17. I'm just saying. Yeah, like I said, we we remembered the title plot. We did not remember everything else. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Well, if we are ready to wrap this up, then um, again, uh, our next episode will be Shadow Dancing. And we hope that everyone will join us for that one as we close in on the end of season three. Until then, this is Shannon and Durham. Chip and Durham. And Erica and Edmonton. And you've been listening to the Audio Guide to Babylon 5. <laughs>